Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, June 4th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Silvey. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike, preaching from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, a message titled, Heavenly Communication. To be honest, that it goes back to the mess that we have seen occur in our families and our homes. And I'm speaking generally over the last generation or so. We've seen a great change in the home. The Pew Research Center did a a study about uh, children and family and homes and uh, they discovered an alarming statistic for the very first time in our history Today, a majority of children are growing up in a home that's been touched by divorce. 54% of children grow up in a home today that has been touched by divorce. In 1960, it was just 27%. And so for the very first time in our history, there are more homes that have been touched by divorce than those who have not. And that's a change. And uh, unless there are some drastic changes in our society, that's only going to get worse. Now, if this stat is true, and I believe it is, I understand that means that there are many of you out there in this congregation that have been touched by divorce. Divorce does not make you uh, a disabled human being. It does not make you a second-class Christian, with God there's forgiveness, there's healing, there is renewal, and God can heal any life and any home and empower them to be everything they need to be. But here's what the stats show us. It shows us that more of us at any other time in our history are dealing with the extra baggage that makes it even harder to do this thing we call family. And not all, but many are having difficulty dealing with this extra weight and this extra trouble. The stats also reveal that four out of ten children today are born to unmarried parents. So what many young people are doing is they're saying, they're looking at this marriage thing and they're saying, this doesn't work. I don't want all that trouble that I just came out of. And so they're bypassing God's plan And they're just cohabitating. They're just living together. They're not getting married. And they're calling each other partners. That's becoming more and more common. And many children today are growing up in which the foundations are being moved. And there's no wonder that now they are questioning everything. The CDC did a recent report, 2021, They did a survey of high school students, and they found that one in five high school students today are gender confused. One in five. 
The report said that um, they admitted that they believed that they were either something, another gender than what they were born, or they were questioning their gender. One in five. So as we move the foundation of the home, everything else is moved. And everything else gets out of place. So what do we do? We need to bring heaven back into our homes. That's what we need to do. God wants to speak to our homes, and God wants to speak through our homes. These are the two truths that come out of our text today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Now, who is Paul speaking to in the book of Ephesians? Well, he tells us he's speaking to the saints who are in Ephesus, and individually, according to chapter 5, these are wives, these are husbands, these are uh, fathers, these are children, these are servants, and these are uh, masters that he's speaking to. So he's speaking to families and the individual members in the families. And so as he's teaching in chapter 4, he has the family in mind. He's going to address them directly in chapter 5 and chapter 6. But in chapter 4, he gives very important truth about how God speaks to the family and how the family is to now speak for God. So there are two action points in the text this morning. The first part of the text gives families today this action point that God is saying, I want to speak to you about how to be heavenly people. You must be heavenly people. You must be like me if you're going to have a home, have a family like mine. And the home is to be patterned after God's home. Jesus said, in my Father's house are, are many mansions, are many rooms, many dwelling places. So God has a home. God has a house. And our house down here is to be a reflection of God's house up there. That's the whole plan. And so God wants to speak to the home. And that's what verses 17 through 24 are about. That's the first action point. And then the second is verse 25 through verse 32, and, and this is about heavenly communication. This is about us speaking for God through our homes. And we have here seven rules of family communication that we'll get to later that will help us to bring heaven into our homes. So let's look at the text here, and let's notice these two action points. First, God is speaking to us about how to be heavenly People, He says in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, had given themselves over to lewdness, to work all in cleanness with greediness. That's the world. But you have not so learned this from Christ. Verse 20 says, Christ is altogether different. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, there's heavenly communication to the home. Jesus is speaking. He's sharing truth with us. 
And the truth is that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So God, the Lord, is speaking to homes. He is sharing truth. He's sharing truth with, with us so that we can be heavenly people. Listen, folks, we cannot do home and family like the world does it and everything be okay. The world, the first part of the text tells us the world walks in ignorance and futility and in blindness. No wonder they have such a hard time with relationships and with building homes. If we walk like the world walks, we're going to have trouble as well. And so the Lord is speaking to us, calling us away from that, and he's sharing truth with us that we'll be different. And he's saying, I want you to be like me. I want you to be heavenly people. So if you're struggling in your home, here's what you need to do. You need to invite new people in. Now what in the world is the pastor talking about? Well, that's exactly what he says in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. You see, there's two people inside of all of us. Two natures, the old man and the new man. The old person that we used to be before we, we met the man from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King Eternal. Before we met him, we were one way. But then when we met him, he came, over, came in and he took over. And now we're new, and that's the new man. And so this is what Jesus wants to speak to us about. This is so important in our homes. We cannot have heavenly communication in our homes unless... We are changed, and we're made like Christ. So he says, verse 22, he's going to speak to us about putting off the former conduct, the former lifestyle, because that old person grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. So Christ is going to speak to us and lead us to be removed from sinful things and sinful ways. That's what he does. When Jesus died on the cross... He paid for our sin completely. He paid for and took care of the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin that we all deal with. He dealt with the penalty completely by offering himself on the cross to die for our sins. He paid for our sin debt in full so that we now no longer have to worry about being punished for our sins or knowing the penalty of our sin to be separated from God forever, Christ took care of all of that. He removed that from us. And then today, he is ongoing, he is giving us power to overcome sin in our life. He removes us from the power of sin. He does this through the Holy Spirit. As we listen to him, and we hear his word, and we follow him, he's giving us power. It doesn't mean that we become perfect. There are no perfect homes but it means that we now have a new power to do things differently. And as we listen to him and we yield ourselves to his spirit, we will become new. We will be able to do new things and do it the right way. And eventually the Lord's going to continue to work in us and on us and in this world that he is going to change everything and remove it from the presence of sin. When he comes back, he is going to glorify us and he's going to renew and recreate this world, this earth. And then and only then will we finally be removed from the presence of sin 
And in that eternal life, we'll live in his home forever. This is what Jesus does. If your home is struggling, you need Jesus. He's the only one who can change you to be the person that you need to be in your home. Be heavenly people is what he's saying. He will speak to us about removing, being removed from sin, being renewed in your spirit. And then verse 24 says that he will remake you so that you are now the new person that's been created according to God, according to true righteousness and holiness. You'll be the kind of person that society needs, that homes need, so that things can work the way they're supposed to. That's what he does. That's heavenly people that hear from him and now begin to speak for him in this world through their homes. So the first part of the text, being heavenly people, see, leads to the second part of the text, verse 25 through 32, and that is that you use heavenly communication. That word, therefore, connects the two sections of Scripture. And the point is this, you cannot use heavenly communication in your home unless you're first a heavenly person, unless you have Christ dwelling in you and filling you with his Holy Spirit. You'll not be able to do home like you need to unless you're first listening to him and then you are relaying what he is saying to others. So the second part of the text, the second action point, is that you use heavenly words. Our words are so powerful. Our words can make or break what happens in our home. There are people today, countless number of people today, that are in counseling, ongoing counseling, because of words that they were spoken or words that were not spoken to them years ago in their home by a parent or by, by a spouse. Our words are powerful. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so how we communicate in our homes and through our homes is vitally important. And so this section, second part of the text here gives us what I'm going to call seven rules for family communication, seven steps or seven words of advice to follow so that we're bringing heaven into our home. We're using heavenly words that, um, that are conducive to a heavenly atmosphere. So as all of us are trying to be heavenly people, we've got an easier time doing that. We don't have obstacles in our way. We don't have people trying to pull us aside and pull us down. But we're all working together as a family unit. And we're all focused on heaven and heavenly things. So our words are very, very important. Seven rules for family communication. Let's go through those and then you'll have the message. Number one, verse 25 says, don't lie. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. The home is to be a place where we learn to tell the truth. Growing up in my home, telling the truth was very, very important. There wasn't much that you could get in bigger trouble for than, than not telling the truth. It was ingrained in me, and to this day, I just, even when I am tempted to do that, I just cannot 
uh, lie. I can't do it without really being in bad shape. Having the foundation of truth and honesty in the home is so very important. Here's why, parents, is because you have to share so many important things with your kids. If they think that you're not telling them the truth, then they're going to not receive what you're trying to tell them when it's so vitally important that they get from you the truth from the Lord. Today, parents have a harder time, a more challenging time to raise kids, I think, than any other time in our history, American history, because the fabric of society is so eroding. Everything that we took for granted is now being questioned, and the alternate lifestyles are just picking and choosing whatever way they want to believe and whatever way they want to live. And parents, today, you don't, have, you don't just have to have one conversation, important conversation with the kids. You know, for when I had kids growing up in my home, you know, the one big conversation we need to have, you know, we talk about the one big, is, you know, that facts of life conversation. But today, you parents got to have more than just that conversation. You've got to have the facts of alternate lifestyle conversation. Because in even elementary school, these kids are being exposed by all kinds of different things. And they need to hear the truth from mom and dad. Because I guarantee you they're hearing some form of the story out there in the world from the school and from the government. And mom and dad, you've got to get ahead of that. It's vitally important that you lay a foundation of truth in your home. So practical ways we fail to tell the truth we say something we know to be false. The Bible calls that lying. It calls it bearing false witness. Another way we can fail to tell the truth is we hide something others need to know. The Bible calls that deceit. The Bible says, He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Another way we can lie is we compliment someone when we don't mean it. Boy, it's getting personal now. Bible calls that flattery. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. When your kids see you complimenting somebody else out in public, and then you get behind closed doors in your home and you run them down, they, they, they compute that. They don't understand everything about it. They don't understand the peer pressure we're in out in, out in society to try to make everybody think we like them. So I understand that tension. But when they see that, they make this conclusion it's okay to cut the truth sometimes. And then later when they're dealing with much bigger issues, that trips them up. So he says don't lie. Another way we fail to tell the truth is we spread an untruth about someone else. The Bible calls this a false report. It's a rumor. You shall not spread a false report. Exodus 23.1 says, You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. So number one, don't lie. Make your home a place of truth. Number two, limit anger. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So the home is to be a place where we learn how to control our anger. Now so often that can be just the opposite, isn't it? Because here's how it works. We're certainly not going to vent when we're here at church, right? 
We're going to be all smiles. We want everybody to think we got it all together. You know, we're happy. Everything's fine. You're not going to vent at work because you want that raise or you want that promotion. You don't want to be known as the person who's always griping about everything. And so you hold it in and you stuff it. And what happens? We hold it until we get home. And it's at home when we do our venting. And if we have a home that has uncontrolled anger, then we don't have a heavenly home. We're not heavenly people using heavenly words. If we're always blowing our top and the anger is flowing. Now the Bible here tells us and teaches us that all anger is not wrong. Verse 26 says, be angry, just don't sin as you do it. So there is righteous anger. God has righteous anger towards sin, and so should we. But we can let everything else get to us so that we begin to respond in unrighteous anger. And we just begin to criticize and complain and do all these unheavenly things. And if we're not careful, our whole home is filled with that. And we begin to be weakened and be in the heavenly home that we should be. So verse 26 tells us two things about how to limit anger. It says, limit it to the right things. Be angry over the things that really matter, not selfish things, not personal preferences. And then secondly, we should limit anger to a short time. It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So that means you should not let anger go day by day in your life. You should deal with it in a day's period. Say, Brother Mike, what if we're angry right before we go to bed? Do we have to stay up half the night and work through it? Well, here's my counsel, because I, I may or may not have been in this very situation at times. <laughs> Late at night, so often we're tired, you know. The day has wore us out. Life has done a number on us. Sometimes we lose it. And we lose our anger simply because we're tired. That's really the issue. And I found that sometimes much of it can be dealt with if you'll just get a good night's rest and then come back to it. I think the scripture is telling us that you don't go long periods of time leaving things unresolved. And if you just need to separate and get a good night's rest, call it quits for just a moment, you know, blow the whistle and say, time out, let's get a rest and let's come back and talk about it in the morning. Sometimes that's the best thing to do. But the point is you don't need to keep stuffing things and, and just holding it in because eventually that will come out at the wrong time in the wrong way. You need to limit anger and make your home a place that knows words of peace. Number three, verse 27 don't talk like the devil. <clears throat> Verse 27 says, don't give place to the devil. And this whole section is a communication section. Uh, everything before and after this statement is talking about using your words. And so I think we should take it first in this light that it's saying don't talk like the devil. So often the devil comes into a situation through his words. That's how he did it in the Garden of Eden, did he not? 
He came talking. And that's how He comes into our lives. Through words, through thoughts, through ideas that He communicates. How does the devil communicate? Well, I think Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, right here on the same page, shows us, it says, this is the kind of talking that's not fitting for saints. This is talking that comes from the other side, from Satan. It's called filthiness or filthy talking, foolish talking, and coarse jesting. See those three things right there? I think that sums up the way the devil talks, the way he communicates. It is, number one, through filthy language. This literally means obscene language. In everyday life, we call this cussing. Is it okay for a Christian to talk like the world and use the cuss words that the world uses? No, it's not. Because here's why. It won't cause you to lose your salvation, but here's what it does. It erodes the heavenly influence that should be in your heart and in your home. If you talk like the world, you'll become like the world. And so growing up in my home, this was another thing that was just never questioned. It had a very strong line to it. We did not use language that was not appropriate. We were not even allowed to use the slang words that are out there. Y'all know what those are? Gosh, darn, my personal favorite was dang. <laughs> Gosh darn, all of those stand for cuss words that Christians should never use. And so I was not even allowed to use the, use the slang words, you know, cut the corner there and kind of cover it over a little bit. And so we need to think through that, parents, in our homes. If we're talking like the world and we're opening the door to the devil, guess what he'll do? He'll come in and he'll make use of it. Don't give place to the devil through our words. Another way of talking like him, according to chapter 5, verse 4, is foolish talking. Literally, this means moronic talking. This means talking that is without a, a godly influence. And Jesus referenced this kind of talking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, when he said, if you're angry with your brother without a cause and you call him a fool, he says you're in danger of the judgment. And what he was meaning by that was you're talking like the devil. You've got a heart like the devil. You've got an angry heart, which is a heart that leads to being a murderer. You can be a murderer in your heart if you wish someone was not around. If you wish that you could get rid of someone, then you have an anger in your heart that, that makes your heart just like a murderer's heart. And Jesus was trying to get us to see that the sin in the heart is just as bad and sometimes even worse than the very act itself. It comes from the devil. So he said you're in danger of, of the judgment. And this kind of foolish talking, according to the way Jesus referred to it in Matthew chapter 5, is name-calling. When you degrade somebody else by constantly calling them names to bring them down, that's how the devil talks. That's not how God talks. So don't give place to the devil. And then coarse jesting is bad jokes. Low, off-color, base jokes. Jokes without 
morality. Christians shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that in our homes, in our personal lives, anywhere. It brings the devil's influence into our life. And so if we talk like the devil, we will think like the devil. And once we get there, he's got us. Because Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So don't give place to the devil. Number four, don't steal with your words. Verse 28. I thought we were talking about communication. Again, here he's talking about stealing. He says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And we certainly don't need to, to, to take something to perform the act of theft. But again, I think first thing he has in mind here are words. Because so often when you think about it, whenever there is something taken by theft, usually it's done with deceptive words. The situation is set up by words. Words that allow the deception to take place. In our homes, if we're not careful, we can begin to use words just to manipulate someone else so that we can get our way. And the Bible says our words should not be trying to take from someone else for ourselves selfishly, but our words should be selfless and so we're giving to someone else. Sometimes our words can be used just to cover private activity that we're sneaking around doing that will harm the family, harm the home, and we're simply hiding it with convincing words. That's not this way all the time. Some people who are very good with their words, I found in my own experience that people that are super smooth with their words all the time, sometimes are people who are simply working to be deceptive, to cover up things that are going on in their heart they don't want anybody else to know about. Doesn't happen all the time that way. Some of you that have the gift of words and you can talk and God's giving you that gift. But some people use their words to steal. To steal things and take things for themselves that they do not have. And that kind of activity will erode the fabric of our homes. Number five is always build up with your words. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication or word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So always build up with your words. A home is to be a place of edification where we are built up, not torn down. And so often this takes place one way or another through our words. We either build up with our words or we tear down with our words. And so these words, these corrupting words, are words that are rotten. They, they make us weak on the inside, worse on the inside. And we're to make sure that we filter those words out of our home. Very quickly, let me give you just a, a few practical uh, words of advice about how to build one another up in the home. And I'm using the acrostic BUILD, B-U-I-L-D. B stands for believe them. Affirm what your family members are saying. Always believe them 
unless there is evidence to the contrary. I remember growing up, my parents always gave us a sense that they trusted us and they believed us. But I remember one time growing up where that was put to the test. And I remember coming home and there was this note that the teacher sent home with all the class. I didn't know what the note said. We were supposed to give it to our teacher. And evidently there was a lot of talking in the class. I know that doesn't happen today in classes, right? But there was a lot of talking and the whole class got in trouble and all the notes went home. And I just remember there was this meeting in the kitchen, this family meeting, and the note was read. <clears throat> and I was being questioned about my part in this because the note was convincing. It said that everybody uh, was involved in this. And I knew I wasn't, and I didn't. And I remember telling my parents, I had nothing whatsoever to do with it. I kept my mouth closed. It was everybody else. And I remember them looking at me, and they had a choice to make. What they said next was either going to build me up or tear me down. And I was waiting to see what they were going to do. Because I knew what the truth was. I knew what that note said, but I knew what the truth was. And they chose to believe me. And that taught me that my parents cared enough for me to believe my word even over the teacher's word. Boy, that built me up. And that was so ingrained in my memory, I still remember that today. So believe them, unless you have evidence to the contrary. You is understand what they're saying. When family member speaks, repeat it back to them. Repeat it in front of others. Build them up by saying to them that what they're communicating is important. You're understanding it. You're seeking to understand it. Eyes include them in the conversation. Ask them, what do you think? You know, I didn't do this enough, I think, when I, our kids were small, is when we talked about family things, asking them, what do you think about this? What do you think we ought to do? Include them in the conversation. Hell, let them talk about themselves. Some people spend the whole conversation that they are engaged in and simply trying to turn it to themselves about what they're doing, what they're thinking. And if you do that, you're sending a message to people eventually to say, hey, I only care about myself. I don't really care about what you think and what you're saying. So let them talk about themselves. In fact, I want to challenge you with this. Between now and next Sunday, I want you to pick out one conversation you have with your family and make an intentional effort when you enter in that conversation. You're not going to say one thing about yourself. You're not going to present one idea from you. You're going to spend the whole conversation finding out what the other person thinks and what they want. And you're going to keep your mouth shut, and then you're going to find out what it is, and then you're going to go try to do it and back it up. All right? So that's a personal challenge. D is don't put them down. So that's how we build up with our words. Number six is, don't say anything that grieves the Holy Spirit. Verses 30 and 31. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So don't say anything that grieves the Holy Spirit. We ought to ask ourselves this question before we say things, especially before we say very important things in our family is would saying this grieve the Holy Spirit? Is this something 
that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, the grieving of the Holy Spirit here is not the unpardonable sin that the Bible talks about elsewhere. This is not saying that if you grieve the Holy Spirit here, that you might lose this seal that he's given you for the day of redemption. You might lose your salvation. You can never lose your salvation once you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit has a residential ministry, not a visitation ministry. He's there to stay. But here's what happens. When we're not heavenly people, and especially when we're not using heavenly words, it grieves him and he pulls back. He pulls back his power. He pulls back his influence. And he'll not force his way. He'll not force control. But he's grieved. What grieves him? I think all of these forms of communication in verse 31. Bitterness, resentful words, wrath, anger, angry words, clamor. This is loud arguing, evil speaking. That all this be put away with you with all malice. This, this doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. These are not heavenly words. And then finally, be always ready to say, I forgive you. I'm sorry. Verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. The home is to be the command center for forgiveness. We talk about it a lot at church. We preach it. We proclaim it. But as the home goes, so goes the church. And if our homes are places in which there is not forgiveness, then that will set the tone for the church as well. Because if we have unforgiveness in our heart, Jesus teaches us that our prayers will be hindered. And our fellowship with the Lord will be hindered. Our worship will be quenched. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts towards someone in our family or in someone else's family. So we need to hear God's heavenly words again. It says that Christ has forgiven us. So based upon that, not based upon does the other person deserve it or not or has the other person owned up to it or not, has the other person asked for forgiveness or not, none of that is the basis for our forgiveness. The basis for our forgiveness is has Christ forgiven us? And if he's forgiven us and forgiven you, then you're to turn and do likewise. To be tender-hearted, to be compassionate, to be willing to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, or yes, I will accept your apology, and I forgive you. One thing we did with our boys when they were young was we not only made them say when they were fighting and, and we made them make up, not only that they were made to say, I'm sorry, but we made them add the words, and they always hated this, to add the words, will you please forgive me? And sometimes it went better than other times, but we were trying to instill in them the, the importance that our home was not perfect. Yes, we'll fight and fuss at times, but at the end of the day, we forgive one another because Christ has forgiven us. That's what heavenly people do. And these are the kind of words that heavenly people use. They use the words, I'm sorry, on a regular basis. Please forgive me. 
I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry I hurt you. Please forgive me. Those are words that heaven can use to heal homes and to strengthen homes and to renew us. God speaks to the home and God speaks through the home. So I ask you this morning, are you a heavenly person? Or does Christ have some things to say to you about that? Are you removed from sinful ways? Are you renewed in the spirit of your mind? Are you putting on the new life that Christ has brought to you? Are you now... Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.